0: One of the most thrilling events in any sporting event, in any sport, is the 4 by 100 relay, especially when that race happens in the Olympic Games. You've probably seen this when you've watched the Olympics, and this fascinating thing of one lap around the track, 400 meters, with four very fast people. Usually the fastest is the one who finishes, and the second fastest starts the race, and then there are two in the middle. But they each run 100 meters, and they hold a baton. And they hold a the baton in their hand, and then they, when they're approaching the next runner, they stretch out. And hand the baton to the runner who is running and then places that hand back to receive the baton. And there is a defined runway. There's only a certain amount of room that's there. So before the runner decelerates completely, the other runner has started. And the baton pass happens. Any hesitation, any miscalculation can cost the race. In 2008, in the Olympic Games in Beijing, where both of the United States teams, both the men's team and the women's team, were favored, the teams dropped the baton. These favored people who should have won the race, there you see the dropped baton in the men's race. It's going to go landing on the ground, and the team favored to win will be disqualified. Each baton pass really matters. Today I want to talk about the importance of passing the baton in our ministry together at Christ Church. Both for the people who are our contemporaries or who are peers or who God somehow connects us with one way or another, we are baton passers for them but we are also baton passers for the next generation of people. We who are in this room have the responsibility as Christ followers to pass the baton not only to those we know and those around us and our own contemporaries, but also to the next generation. This was, after all, the core methodology of Jesus. This is what's unfolding in chapters 9 and 10 of the Gospel of Luke. What Jesus had in mind, obviously, were the 12 disciples. This was the team of men he had invested himself in and was preparing to continue his work after he was gone from this earth. But as we see the beginning of chapter 10, something else is happening here. And what's happening now is that he has now duly deputized 72 other people to carry the mission and the message of Jesus to whomever And also to continue the message long after Jesus was gone. So first we had the 12 and now we have the 72 who were deputized to heal and to teach and to joyfully serve and to cast out demons. And as it says in verse 17 of our text, they returned from their initial mission absolutely delighted, delighted and joyful in their service. Jesus had instructed them. He instructed them to travel light, to expect opposition, but to do this because this wondrous and enormous harvest awaits, that there are, there's a greater harvest than we have harvesters. That's why I'm deputizing you, to join the Twelve. And then after you, and subsequent generations, ever further in the line of the Christian faith, Those people, too, will be called and gifted and equipped to serve Christ, to offer hope and health, wellness, and spiritual joy to people who come long after them. There isn't a lot we know about the 72. It would be fun to know more about them. We just don't know. Some in the church through the ages have attempted to give them names, and some churches have feast days for them and other ways of honoring these people. But in fact, we actually don't know their names. We don't know who all of them were. They might have been people who were hanging around with Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Perhaps they were there at the feeding of the 5,000, and they saw what Jesus did and became sort of a part of the traveling band we just don't know them, and we don't know their names. But we know their mission, and we know their mission is still true for those who have followed them. But don't think of the 72 as, the, as sort of the B team, with the disciples being the A team. We know what the disciples' mission was, but the mission of the 72 was essentially the same. Many of us have named children after the names of the disciples, Peter and John and Andrew and Philip, Matthew, Thaddeus, well, maybe not Thaddeus so much anymore, but we can name our children after those disciples, but these no-name followers of the 72 are the ones that really offered change to the world. This large number of people submitting themselves to the work of the harvest. These are people for whom we are in debt, ever much as the disciples themselves. These no-names change the world. The The kingdom was built by such as these. And we have a tendency in contemporary evangelical Christianity to think... That the kingdom of God is somehow built first by evangelical superstars. The names of the people that we know, the famous teachers or the famous singers or the famous this or the famous that. And thank God for them. They're important. But the kingdom is not built on evangelical superstars. The kingdom isn't built by the famous ones among us. The kingdom isn't built by celebrity Christians who occasionally get interviewed in the media and put in a good word for God. I'm glad they do that. But that's not how the kingdom of God is built. That's not how the harvest will be accomplished. The kingdom of God is built by people whose names we may never know. By heroic people who pick up the mantle of what it means to be a disciple... And take this amazing message of the gospel to the world around them. Who become harvesters for the sake of the gospel. It's the no-named people as far as the world is concerned. Who move the gospel ever further forward. Sometimes people who start out and live a good part of their life as no-named people become people who become very well-known because of the inspiration they followed in being God's person to advance the mission of the gospel. One of those no-names was a woman named Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, an African-American woman born in Tuskegee, Alabama in 1913. She's described even by the many secular biographers of this amazing person, as a mild-mannered young woman who was a devoted follower of Jesus. She was said to have memorized copious amounts of Scripture. She was loyal to her African Methodist Episcopal church and was there all the time. She lived in a world of discrimination. She lived a personal world of deprivation. She lived in a segregated time in a segregated section of our country. I can't possibly really know what life was like for Rosa, but I grew up in a segregated part of our country, and I know what it was like to live there, and I know that it wasn't good for anybody. Rosa, on December 1st, 1955... Forever lost her no name status. She was riding a bus in Alabama, and there riding the bus, she had sat down in the whites only section. She sat there deliberately, but she sat there because she was frankly just tired. She was asked to give up her seat to a white woman after that whites only section had been filled. She said in very simple words later, I was just tired of giving in. I was just tired of living that way. She was arrested. She lost her job as a seamstress. And she suffered for her decision but became a heroine of American life. She is honored today with a statue in the United States Capitol. She is someone we, mem- we remember as a Christian who did the next right thing in her life. And this no-named person became a very well-known person because she took the justice message of the gospel and acted on it. I wonder who other no-named heroes who never became famous there might be in your lives. Somebody may have led you to Christ. Someone may have taken you to church as a child. A mother, a grandmother, a parent, a father. Could have been just a neighbor or a friend or some loving person in some church community. Somebody befriended you. Somebody was this no-name disciple who helped introduce you to the Christian faith. I've had a few of those. One I particularly remember was a Sunday school teacher in the ninth grade. My family was no longer going to church for various reasons and, and I hadn't been to church in quite a while. But a local church down the street from us had announced they were forming a youth basketball league, and I thought that's something I'd like to do. The only catch was you had to go to church at least two Sundays a month to be able to play in the the youth basketball league. I figured that's eh, a reasonable trade off. I'll go to that church Sunday school. I'll uh, go there a couple times a week, and then I'll get to play. I had a teacher, a wonderful young guy, who taught a, a group of us boys, happened to be all boys in that classroom. And every week, he patiently taught us. He patiently opened up the Bible to us. We did our lessons. We were goofing off. When he wasn't looking, we were talking. We were completely a waste of time. I mean, why he didn't just walk out of there and say, I've had it, I don't know. He would occasionally send us postcards, encouragement notes. He even came to a couple of our basketball games. He was a friend to us. He was a no-name disciple who had a great impact on my life, though he would never know it. We moved to a different city at the end of that ninth grade year. I never thanked him never got a chance to say what his work had done for me because it had planted a seed in my young mind. I became a Christ follower in high school. He would probably be shocked if he walked in today and saw me in this place. (laughs) But this no-name disciple had passed the baton to me, which is the essence of the mission of the gospel. The next generation of people is often on my mind. It's probably because of the season of life that I'm in. But I think a lot about our kids, our own family, about their friends, about young people that I see. And I think back to my own growing up in the 60s, to that era of doubt that is simply known as the 60s. Some of you probably remember it. Although there is a rather funny line that says, if you remember the 60s, you really weren't a part of it. (laughs) All of us remember the Beatles. Their gifted singing, their gifted playing, their incredibly effective music. We remember John Lennon and Paul McCartney and all the songs they wrote. And one of those songs was Eleanor Rigby. We could all probably sing Eleanor Rigby together, but, Noel, I'll spare us of that, and we will not do that. Eleanor Rigby sang of a song about a lonely girl, married and buried in the church. And Father McKenzie, a priest, who spent his time in McCartney's words, writing words to sermons that no one would hear because no one came near. There was no one to pass the baton to because they weren't in the church. McCartney and Lennon were a a lot of things, but they may have also been prophets because they saw the decline of the church in England, a decline which has continued, though there are certainly sparks of hope. Today, we face something of the same situation with younger people. Certainly not all. But it's been said many times that the church is always just one generation away from extinction. And for our young people, that baton has to be passed. We have to be a church that's continually passing the the baton. If we don't do it, who will do it? And yet in the midst of all of our concerns, we do remember the promise that Jesus said one day he would continue to build his church and that the gates of hell would not overcome the church. That's the promise. And yet, it's our responsibility to act. There's a Chinese proverb that says In the ocean, the back waves continue to push the front waves. The back waves continually push the front waves. That's the life of God's people in the church. We, the back waves, for some of us, continually push the waves ahead of us because that's our mission. That's our task, constantly passing the baton. This week, this past week at Christ Church has been a wonderful week. We had vacation Bible school here all week. We, by the way, had the most kids ever. We had nearly 300 kids ages 4 through 5th grade in this building, and it was a happy madhouse. It was wonderful to have them all in this good place. Fifty more kids than last year's. Nearly a hundred baton passers, or you could call them leaders, volunteers. Nearly a hundred people passing the baton to our kids to the next generation. You're a part of that. Whether you were a volunteer or whether you had a child here or a grandchild or anyone here, you're a part of that. Your stewardship. Your giving, your presence, your participation makes a church where such things happen. We become a church of baton passers because of work and giving that you do. And we are very, very grateful. In the midst of all of this conversation, some of you are no doubt kind of wondering... Well, I think all that's good and true, but what's my role in it? I'm, frankly, kind of confused. Well, I don't know about you, but the comic strip Peanuts clarifies a lot of things for me. (laughs) Lucy one time said to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, and she always called him Charlie Brown, not just Charlie. Charlie Brown, life is like a deck chair on a cruise ship. Passengers open up these canvas deck chairs so they can sit in the sun. Some people place their chairs facing the rear of the ship so that they can see where they've been. Other people place their chairs forward. They want to see where they're going. Charlie Brown on the cruise ship of life, which way are you facing? And Charlie resp- replied, I don't know. I can't get the deck chair unfolding. <laughs> If you're ever confused like Charlie Brown, you're in good company. Because specifically knowing your mission and specifically knowing your call takes discernment and time. And a community of people with whom you share life together in the church who say to you, you know, this would be a good way for you to pass the baton. The church can help equip you to do that. The bottom line, God takes available people and he makes them into servant leaders to reach the next generation of people. That's our mission and that is our task. It's simply rearranging our lives a bit so that we can be harvesters for the great harvest that's before us and that is going wanting without sufficient numbers of harvesters. God takes people with extraordinary, ordinary gifts, takes all kinds of people and finds that moment when we become someone who says yes to passing the baton and then God does amazing things through people. That's the mission of the church. May it be your mission too. Let's pray. God, for all the wonderful baton passing that has happened out of the ministry of Christ Church we give you thanks and for all the baton passing that needs to happen still for the people who don't know you for our young people who may not have a church for those who struggle in life those who, who just hurt God the baton of the gospel can go forth to them it can give them hope and encouragement And would you encourage us and challenge us to continually, evermore, be the people who pick up the baton and run with it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.